Christ is risen. I just told you before that you guys got to know what you're doing now. Christ is risen. Yes, he is. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. This is the day that when we celebrate Jesus Christ rising from the dead. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Death has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Because he lives, we too shall live for eternity. Our church has been studying through the book of Luke for more than a year. Did you hear that? More than a year. We started the series in Luke before COVID-19. It's been, I think, okay. I think it's been powerful to focus on the words of Jesus Christ As we've gone through this, I've said that before, I think that God had a plan for our church that this is what we needed to remember. We needed to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ when the waters have been troubled. And now here we are, Resurrection Sunday, and here we are, the last chapter in Luke. Two weeks ago, you may remember We went through chapters 22 and 23 together. I simply read them. We read through the story of Jesus' betrayal and arrest, Peter's denial, the questioning of Jesus by the Roman governor Pilate, Jesus' trial, the release of a criminal, because Jesus had to be crucified, said the mob of people. We read about the torture the ridicule of Jesus, and then we read about the crucifixion, and finally, his death. Powerful words to listen to. And now today, we begin reading again the final chapter. After all that we've learned in the book of Luke, we are to the final chapter. What do we do before we read Scripture? We pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we once again are about to open your word, and we need to hear from you, Holy Spirit. Spirit of Jesus Christ, we ask that you are in this place speaking to us from your word so that we can understand. We need you here, Lord. It can't just be our minds. It must be our minds illuminated by you. Amen. So as I begin reading, I want you to consider a question, would you please? If you had been writing this gospel, how would you write chapter 24? That's a question worth considering, isn't it? Because in one chapter... Luke is going to give to us the hope that an entire religion is founded on for the next two plus centuries. 
In one chapter, we are going to learn the most important truth that there is to know in the entire history of mankind. In one chapter, how would you write this chapter? What would you have said in one chapter to explain the hope that makes the entire world make sense? That's what this one chapter is. What would you have written? That's worth thinking about. Because sometimes we just read the Bible, and we don't really think about how amazing it is that in such a small space, so much truth can be said. And remember, Luke wrote this gospel, and, and what's the word gospel mean? Good news. This is good news. The word gospel means good news. Luke wrote this good news to Gentiles. Gentiles are anybody who's not a Jew. So that means every single person in here. This gospel was written specifically for us. And now Luke in one chapter is going to give to his Gentile audience in one chapter what they need to make sense of everything. That's what this is. One chapter that makes sense of everything. I'm going to read this chapter in three sections today. And I am excited by what the Lord is going to do. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. And as I read, I ask that you would use your mind to create a word picture in your mind from the words that Luke gives us. This is designed to create an image in your mind. Please do that. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, <clears throat> the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. <clears throat> when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Angels. Angels were at the tomb. And they said, Remember what Jesus had told you when you were in Galilee. Do you remember? Let's look. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, 
and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Luke 17, 25. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Luke 18, 31 through 33. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Jesus had told them this was going to happen. But the angels had to remind the women, and then they remembered. Oh, but they were just women. Now, don't take that the wrong way. In the time of Jesus, women were not legally able to be testifying in a court of law. So their testimony about this was not legally binding. Why in the world would Luke, if he really wanted people to believe this, why would he have women be the first ones to witness this? Because Luke is more concerned about telling what actually happened than about trying to make you believe it actually happened. Did you hear that? Luke is concerned about telling the truth here. And look at verse 24, chapter 24, verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Can I, can I translate that for you? The disciples said, the women are cray-cray. That's translation into modern lingo. Some of you are like, that was so stupid. I don't care. That's what they were. Those women are crazy. They are crazy. Do you, this, this just kind of goes over our heads at this point. We don't think about this. I want you to get this. The disciples did not believe them. The disciples did not believe them. Sometimes we get frustrated when we tell people that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, can I give you some comfort here? Not even the disciples believed. Not even the disciples believed. So don't be surprised when you tell people, Jesus is alive, and they say, I, okay, <laughs> what is that even supposed to mean? It's going to require more than just words, y'all. More than just words. So, the disciples' response was not belief. It was disbelief. Even Peter, he ran to the tomb, and he saw the linen lying there, but that doesn't mean he believed. In fact, he said, look at, look at verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Okay, so Peter didn't go away praising God because Jesus was risen from the dead. Peter went away wondering, who took the body? That's what Peter went away wondering. Who took the body? Why would someone take the body? Why would they desecrate my friend's body? Peter didn't believe. He went away in confusion confusion. Now, 
We know from the other Gospels that Peter wasn't the only one at the tomb. John also ran to see. But I want you to notice that even when Peter saw that Jesus' body was missing, you need to notice this, I, he didn't believe that Jesus had raised from the dead. You know, sometimes we think the disciples, that they're like, they were like superhuman, like they, they were better than us somehow. Has anybody seen someone come back from the dead? Anybody in here seen that? It doesn't happen very often. It didn't happen very often for them either. They did not expect Jesus to rise from the dead. They also didn't believe it. It wasn't normal for people to come back from the dead. Now, let's look at the next section, starting in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who is going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that he had, they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are. <laughs> and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when they broke the bread. That is one of the most amazing stories ever. 
So what's going on here? First of all, who's this Cleopas person? And, well, who's the companion that's with Cleopas? Well, obviously Cleopas was an follower of Jesus, but he was not one of the 12 disciples. And we don't know for sure who his companion was, but we might have a clue in one of the other Gospels. Look at John chapter 19, verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. There are many scholars who believe that Clopas and Cleopas are the same person. Therefore, we don't know this for sure, but I think it's at least likely Cleopas was on his road home with his wife, Mary, the wife of Clopas. And if you notice, Mary, the wife of Clopas, was near the cross, an eyewitness of the death of Jesus. So these two are walking to this village, Emmaus, maybe their home, and they're walking and they're talking about what they witnessed. They're talking about what Mary saw. She saw him die. Mary saw him die. And then, verses 15 and 16 in Luke 24. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now, I'm going to be the first to tell you this. There are, there are more questions about Jesus' <clears throat> resurrected body than we have answers. When we do bus questions in youth ministry, people want to know, what's heaven like? You know, what, what's it going to be like? Um, this, the amount of information we know is like this much. The amount of questions we have is like this much. I don't know why they didn't recognize Jesus. I do know that it says they were kept from recognizing Jesus. So somehow, Jesus was with them, but they didn't know that it was Jesus. But I do know this. In the book of Luke, this is the first encounter of the risen Christ with anybody. And this is such an amazing story. Look at verses 17 through 19. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. I love how Jesus starts this conversation with them. Does this story remind you of any other stories? As I read this week, this story, something came to my mind, and it reminded me. We have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid, them, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. That is the origin of men blaming women for all the problems in the world. 
I actually kind of think it's the other way around, just to be clear. Here's a question. Do you think God knew where they were? Yeah, God has this thing called um, all knowledge. Okay, God is also all present, means he's everywhere. So what is going on in Genesis? Why would there ever be a time when God would need to ask this question? Where are you? God knew where they were. Does that remind you of Jesus with Cleopas? It's the same. Jesus knew. (laughs) What are you discussing together as you walk along the road? Jesus already knew the answer. Verse 19, what things? Jesus literally lived the things. He knew exactly what they were talking about. But he asked anyways. Just throwing this out there, Jesus still does that with us sometimes. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? (laughs) I think it's amazing how Jesus does this. And I think this is on purpose, a reflection of Genesis chapter 3. Because Jesus wants to hear their answer. And look at the answer in verse 21. Their answer is long, but this is the key part of their answer that they give to Jesus. But we had hoped that he, being Jesus, was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. What was Cleopas and probably his wife's hope of Jesus? To redeem Israel. That's what they were hoping would happen. They were hoping that Israel would be redeemed by Jesus. So that was their expectation of Jesus, that he would redeem Israel. And what does this mean? What, is it, what do you think Cleopas and his wife meant by redeem Israel? Political victory. That's what they hoped for. They hoped that the nation of Israel would throw off the Roman rule and that they would be a nation again, a free nation, free to worship God. They were expecting political freedom. (laughs) But they were not expecting the kind of freedom that Jesus actually delivered. Do you know what freedom Jesus delivered? It was not political freedom. It was not victory over Rome. Jesus delivered freedom from death. How much much more is that? How much more is freedom over death compared to freedom over political rule? How much more is this? Just think about the difference. And, And Jesus... I mean, it seems harsh what he says next. You're so foolish because it's so much bigger. Cleopas had no concept of the scope of what Jesus was actually doing. Jesus' mission was not about Israel gaining freedom from Rome. Jesus' mission 
was about giving everybody, not just Israel, everybody, freedom from death itself. This is the point when you're supposed to say, praise God. Did you hear what I said? I think sometimes we get dulled because we've heard this too many times. Jesus came to give us freedom from death. That was a little bit forced, but I'll take it. And then Jesus, I mean, this does seem harsh. Verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Hey, that's for us today too. How foolish are we that we get caught up in the petty stuff of this life and we forget the freedom that has been purchased for us. We are free to live eternally. Little things like politics should not cause us to get kerfluffled. I'm not sure that's a word. But it, you know what I'm saying? The kerflufflement of the past year has been redonkulous. <laughs> we have freedom from death, people. We have freedom from death. And then Jesus says, Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Oh, and I love this, I love this verse. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I have said this to you before, probably in other Easter Sundays. That is the one sermon more than any other in the whole history of the world that I wish I could have been there for. Could you imagine? Jesus himself explains the Old Testament. I'm just going mean, to let that sink in. You're, you get to walk with Jesus, and Jesus says, and now I'm going to explain the entire thing. Sign me up. That, I am so envious of Cleopas and his wife, probably wife. I am ridiculously envious. And for most of my life, and many times I've preached this to you, that's the sermon that I want to see. That's the sermon I want to hear. I have said that, and I have thought that over and over and over. And then something happened to me this week. Something happened. It went something like this. Okay? That was the hand of God. Okay? My whole life I've been saying, I want to hear that sermon. My whole life I've been saying that. And you know what happened when God said to me, what do you think the first 23 chapters of Luke is? I have literally, for 15 months, been in-depth studying Luke 1 through 23. It's literally the message that Jesus gave to Cleopas. We have the sermon! Think about this. Just, just listen to this. This is just what we've learned for the past 15 months in Luke. These are just some, like a small fraction of the, of the Old Testament 
messages, uh, scriptures that Jesus fulfilled. Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Jesus read that to his home church in Nazareth. They tried to throw him off a cliff. Remember? That's literally the Old Testament coming true in Jesus. Psalm 118, 22, the stone the builders rejected has, been the, has become the capstone. That's literally fulfilled in Jesus. Luke 19, 38, the same one again. The stone has become the capstone. And then in Luke 20, Psalm 110, 1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. We just talked about that one. Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. And the book of Luke is the explanation proving that to be true. The the sermon that Jesus gave to Cleopas and to his wife Mary is the book of Luke. I have never thought about that, that until just this week when God's like, did you get it yet? How thick are you? I'm telling you, all you need to know for eternal life, it's right here. Do you know, there are, this is just one chart of the 100 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Luke. I mean, and this isn't even all of them. That's a lot. You know what's amazing about the Jews of Jesus' time? They knew about the prophecies. They had been studying them. But the Jews of Jesus' time, they had no concept that all of the Old Testament prophecies were going to be fulfilled in one person. They thought that multiple people would be fulfilling those multiple prophecies. So did the disciples. So did Cleopas. They had no idea that it was one person. But it was. Jesus is the fulfillment of the anticipation of the entire Old Testament. And more than that, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's entire redemption plan. There's that word redemption. Cleopas, we had hoped he would redeem Israel. God's plan was so much bigger than Israel. The redemption, yes, the redemption of everybody. Everybody. Gentiles, did you hear that? Gentiles. That's, we're in that. That's us. Praise God. Rome is not the enemy that Jesus defeated. He took aim at the true enemy, death. The true enemy, our true enemy is death. Where did that enemy come from? Satan? Satan had a part in it. But where did it come from? Do you remember the story I just read? Oh, we're back to Adam and Eve again. Isn't that interesting? Jesus' ministry and mission was far bigger than his disciples realized. The Old Testament, the entire Jewish nation and their scriptures was pointed at Jesus. And then look at, look at verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. 
their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. This should not be a trick question. What is the first meal in the Bible? I already read it today. They ate the forbidden fruit. That is the first meal recorded in Scripture. What happened because of that meal? Sin entered in the world, and when sin entered the world, what else entered the world? Death. Hey, y'all, do you think it's a surprise that they recognized Jesus at a meal, and it was at that meal that death was defeated? This is a direct connection with Genesis. Do you see it? Jesus is the fulfillment and the setting right of all that started to go wrong in Genesis chapter 3. At the first meal with the first man and woman, death entered. And now, death is defeated. At another meal, praise God. Now, one final thought about this story. When did Cleopas and his wife believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Was, was it actually when they were shown the scriptures pointed to Jesus? Or was it when they recognized that Jesus was with them? It's a bit of a trick question because it was both. Look at verse 32. When Jesus disappeared, and then, then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Their hearts were burning when Jesus opened the scriptures to them. They, they were burning. Of course, when the full realization of what happened dawned on Cleopas and Mary, they rushed back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples. Now, I want to come back to this heart-burning piece, but we're going to go on to the third section. Look at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them. Now, this is when Cleopas got back to the disciples, and now the disciples are together. And so, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. I don't know about you, there's nothing peaceful about that. I would have, I would have flipped out. I mean, he just showed up. I do think this is something like Star Trek transporters, but that's a different thing. Okay, so bam, Jesus shows up, right? They were startled and frightened. I bet they were. Thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, 
This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Wow. Wow. You understand, this is what we believe. This is the hope of Jesus Christ. Jesus appeared among them. Now, again, we don't understand this. Like, he's got flesh and bones, but he can, like, materialize out of thin air. I don't understand that. If anybody tells you they understand it, don't listen to them anymore. Because we don't understand that. But here's what we do know. Jesus made very sure that his disciples knew he was not a ghost. Okay? This is really important. This is really important. Somehow, it has gotten into our minds that when we die, we become disembodied spirits, and we float around. Somehow, we think that. Okay, ready for this? False. We are not disembodied spirits when we die. Because we become like Jesus. And he made a huge point of saying, I'm not a disembodied spirit. I have a body. In fact, could you, could you think, look at, look at verses 37 through 43, and tell me, what more could have Jesus done to prove that he had a body? Tell me this. They were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands, look at my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And that wasn't enough. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have some fish? Jesus was a crappie cruncher. I, I, I don't know. I mean, he ate some fish. How, how else could Jesus, what else could Jesus have done to prove, I am not a disembodied spirit? I am right here. I have a real body. I have come back to life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus' heart was beating. He was breathing. And he still is today. At the side of God, Jesus is breathing right now. His heart is beating right now, as will mine and yours in our resurrection bodies. Enough with this disembodied spirit stuff. It's not biblical. And now, look at the last thing that I want to point out to you. Verses 44 and 45. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. 
everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Does that sound familiar? Of course. It's exactly what he did with Cleopas and Cleopas's probably wife. It's the same thing. It's like exactly the same thing. So here you go. I said this today. I say it every Sunday. If, if 50 years from now, when I'm long gone, who knows where I'll be, okay? If you remember nothing else from my time in ministry at this church, pray before you read Scripture. Okay. I, I cannot emphasize this. And in all of the 15, 16 years I've been here, I'm, I, I got to thinking, I'm not sure I've ever given the biblical reason for why I say that. You ready for this? It's right here. Do you understand that lots of people read Scripture with just their mind? And then they are so surprised that they're confused. They're so amazed. I just can't figure out Scripture. I just can't understand it. It just doesn't make sense to me. The disciples themselves couldn't figure it out until Jesus was with them. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Scripture requires the interpretation of God with you. Do not read Scripture without praying and inviting God to help you understand. And this is where that's from. The risen Christ commanded us. And it's, it's the same. He does it twice. Think about, again, go back to what would have you said if you were writing Luke 24. Luke, inspired by God himself, decided it was the one thing that was important enough to say twice was this. Did you hear that? If you were writing the last chapter of Luke, would you have said this twice? I don't think you would have. Because in the church today, we think we're smart enough to figure it out ourselves. You're not. You're not. And I'm not either. Nobody is. The apostle Peter was not smart enough to figure it out himself. Read after you pray for God to speak to you. Now, you might think it's weird that that's what I'm ending Resurrection Sunday on, but that's the book of Luke. It's what Luke is emphasizing by saying it twice in the final chapter that explains the resurrection. I, I don't know how to highlight this more than this. I don't know how to make this a more important thing than what I've just done here. It is said twice. And then, verse 46, he told them, and this is what is written. So this is the big explanation of the entire Old Testament. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Repentance means turning away. It means you're walking one direction, and you repent. It is an action word that means to turn from your sin. 
Jesus has made it possible to do this. Jesus has, by his death, has empowered us to do this. And when we do, forgiveness is offered. Forgiveness and eternal life, which means victory over death. You know when that happens? Right? Now is when that happens. Praise God. We're going to end today with communion. Because Jesus was recognized in the breaking of the bread. And we're going to do this. If you're helping with communion, could you please come up? It's Easter Sunday after a year-long. Do not eat until I come back up here.